Welcome to the Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. We are a Bible-believing church located in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. We are proudly part of the Christian Fellowship Ministries with 3,000 churches around the world. We are a church focused on world evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Here we will share recent sermons from PHSA Church and other sermons from throughout our fellowship. I am Pastor David Bickford, and I will be your host for this podcast. I thank you for listening today, and we hope these messages are a blessing to you and bring you closer to God. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, So today's message that I put together is called Working in Obscurity. The subheading is Spirit, Ability, and Knowledge, and the text we're going to be working from today is Exodus 31, verses 1 through 6. So it's been a little bit since I've been back. Um, obviously, I was a little sick last week, so I'm starting to come out of it now. So I want to be able to you know, get it, go ahead and jump right in with this, and thank you guys for coming uh, back to the podcast. Um, so we're going to go ahead and read the, the text first thing. And it's this is a section of scripture about Oliahab and Bezalel. And um, we'll pick it up in verse one. It says, the Lord said to Moses, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men, that they may all that I have commanded you, or that they may make all that I have commanded you. As you can see, my voice is still a little shoddy, so I apologize for that. But what we want to get from this verse of scripture is there's a calling of what to many would seem as ordinary men, but there's a a specific purpose that we're going to look at this. It's going to be the calling from obscurity. And as an illustration, I wanted to look at the life of Tenzig Tenzig Norgay. Tenzig Norgay, he lived, uh, he was born May 15th, 1914, and he lived until May 9th, 1986, and he was a Tibetan climber. If you're into climbing at all, then you would have obviously already known about his name, but for those of us that aren't into climbing that much, it's it's a pretty interesting tale. Along with the, so he was, like I said, he, he was a Tibetan climber. And uh, along with the New Zealand, New Zealand's Edmund Hillary, uh, Norgay was one of the first two people to reach the summit of the world's highest mountain, uh, Mount Everest, uh, which is 8,848 meters high on May 29th, 1953. So this already kind of gives you the idea of who this person is now. I mean, you might have even heard of you know, Edmund Hillary, even if you're not into climbing, because he was the first to summit officially Mount Everest. Norgay was involved in several earlier attempts on this peak, though, beginning with his famed 1935 British Reconnaissance Expedition led by Eric Shipton, which succeeded in climbing a whopping 26 peaks of over 20,000 feet. His eventual success on Everest garnered him worldwide fame as well as numerous awards and honors. And today he remains one of the most well-known Sherpas of all time. In his early life, Norgay, you know, like a lot of that is very unclear to us about what, how he grew up and stuff like that. 
we from what we can you know garner he was born sometime in late may of 1914 and was the 11th of 13 children most accounts indicate that he was born in tibet and then moved to nepal as a child to work for a family in the kumba valley in the village of kumjung as a teen he immigrated to jarlin or darjeeling india settling in the sherpa community in the city at the time, Darjeeling was the launch point for most expeditions into the eastern Himalayas, and Norgay became acquainted with a number of porters, cooks, and other Sherpas working for the mountaineering expeditions. So we always hear about the headliners, those that are at the top of the charts, the, but the reality is, is that there are always supporting characters that make these things happen, that make these things possible. And if it weren't for these critical characters, then much of what we read about in the world or in the Bible could not have happened. Norgay gives us this contemporary picture of this, this uh, reality. Many can name the man that first summited Mount Everest, Sir Edmund Hillary. Uh, it used to be a household name, but, but what of the Sherpa guy that had spent the previous 20 years making that summit possible? In our text, we see that God knows that every part of the body of the church is critical to the success of the whole. And that does not mean that he can't and won't raise up others to fill the void. But what it does mean is that God has a place for all of us within his kingdom. Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, was called out by God by his by, by name. We know the word of God that he was spirit-filled and that he, that he had the ability and intelligence and knowledge and skills to fulfill the call that God had placed upon his life. Which brings me to my first point, which is filled with the spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, it says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Let's look a bit deeper then. Here we have Bezalel and Aholiab, his assistant. These were skilled craftsmen. They had God-given and honed talent for carpentry, metalwork, tapestry, and construction. These are blue-collar men who lived as slaves in Egypt, and despite their beginnings, we can see them being called out in the Bible by no other than God himself. The reality is, is, that God, is that God sees the faithful work done behind the scenes when you're living a faithful and upright life. Our fellowship is a lay fellowship. It's a blue-collar fellowship, but it is a spirit-filled fellowship. In the Corinthians, Paul is primarily speaking about the spiritual, the spiritual gifts that we think of in regards to the New Testament church, preaching, evangelism, praying for the seek, and speaking in tongues and prophecy. And that fact still holds true that God equips his people through the spirit of his purpose. As important as the spiritual gifts are, we must never forget the example of Bezalel and Aholiab. These two men were spiritually equipped for a sacred purpose. We need spirit-filled builders and workers to support and uplift the ministry if we are ever going to be able to successfully build anything. In Jewish history, Bezalel is held in high regard. He is, after all, the temple-building son of Judah. In an article by David Schrock, we can see a correlation between Bezalel building the tabernacle, David building, or David planning for, and Solomon building the temple, and Jesus, the cornerstone, of the new and better kingdom. Each of these figures were enabled by the Spirit for the purpose laid before them, and we should then lift up those around us whom are spirit-filled workers, whether they be accountants, bookkeepers, welders, or artisans. Let's take another look at Norgay. 
At age 19, Norgay was chosen as a porter for Eric Shipton's 1935 British Reconnaissance Expedition. Despite having no mountain experience, due to the recommendation of his close friend, Ang Tharke, one of the preeminent Sherpas and Siddhars of the era, who had participated in earlier expeditions with Shipton. The expedition was stymied at 23,030 feet on the North Coal, but also identified a viable alternative route up the western side of the South Coal, which today is used by climbers as attempting to peak from the south via Nepal. Perhaps more importantly, the expedition resulted in what Shipton called a veritable orgy of mountain climbing with team members collectively summiting 26 peaks over 20,000 feet, 24 of which were first ascents. The expedition also proved the beginning of Norgay's prolific career as a Sherpa, which lasted until his ultimate success in 1953 with Hillary. Norgay was a prominent member of nearly every other Everest attempt in the intervening years, including the illegal 1947 jaunt by the Canadian Earl, uh, Canadian Earl Denman from the Tibetan side which was so woefully underprepared and forced the team, a trio of Denman, Norgay, and Eng, Dawa, Sherpa, back to the after ferocious storms at 22,000 feet. Among other non-Everest exploits, he served as a, a Siddhar, a team leader for a Swiss expedition that made the first ascent to the Kedara, Kedarnath, Maine, which is a 22,770 foot summit in 1947. Notably, Norgay embarked on the 1952 Swiss Everest expedition, which received rare permission to attempt to climb from Nepal via the South Coal. Tibet had closed to climbers in the 1950s after the Chinese invasion and subsequent occupation. This was both the first expedition and, ser and to seriously attempt the peak from the south and the first to reach the South Coal through, though the effort was unsuccessful, Norgay and Swiss Raymond uh, Lambert reached a high point of about 28,200 feet on the southeast ridge, setting a new altitude record in the process. A second Swiss expedition later that year, post-monsoon season, also included Norgay and saw the team reach 26,575 feet. This brings me to my next point, which is ability and intelligence. In 2 Chronicles 1.5, it says, Moreover, the bronze altar that Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, had made, was there before the tabernacle of the Lord, and Solomon and the assembly sought it out. Every mountain climber worth his salt wanted to work with Norgay. They would seek him out. Why was this man in such high demand within his community? Norgay had spent an, a lifetime to hone his craft, and he was, he was an accomplished mountaineer in his own right, but probably more importantly, he was able to keep his charges safe. Similarly, Bezalel work and craftsmanship would last through the ages. Kings knew of him and of his work, and it was held in the highest esteem. It was, after all, holy and sanctified unto the Lord, and it's, it's odd how a few of us can remember his name if we were ever to be asked. Another similar character we can look at is Baruch. In Jeremiah 36, 4, it says, Then Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neri, and Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words the Lord had spoken to him. Baruch was Jeremiah, the prophet's scribe and secretary. Little is known about Baruch, son of Neriah. A note in the Amplified Bible citing 2 Chronicles 34.8 suggests that he may have been the grandson of Messiah, who served as the governor of Jerusalem in the days of King Josiah. Baruch may have been attached to a family of means, perhaps a prominent one, 
He was certainly educated, serving as he did as Jeremiah's secretary. Entrusted with putting down Jeremiah's words for posterity, we could surmise that he was detail-oriented and performance-motivated, able to get a lot of work done and get it done correctly. So clearly we could see that the that he was first faithful to God because it was not safe being associated with Jeremiah the prophet. He was not well-liked by the king of Judah as well. Even so, we also know that Baruch was skilled. He was often the mouthpiece for Jeremiah, and we can see that when he that he was held in high esteem from the ruling class of Judah. In Jeremiah 43.3, it says, But Baruch, son of Neriah, is inciting you against us at the, to hand us over to the Babylonians, so they may kill us or carry us into exile. The claim here is that they were actually trying to say that Baruch held influence over Jeremiah, and it wasn't God working through Jeremiah. So here we have a skilled man, spirit-filled, and following the prophet of the Lord, and he is a man of ability and intelligence, but still a supporting character. In fact, we see at the end of Jeremiah that he is called to live a simple life. In Jeremiah 45, 1-5, it said, this is a message to Baruch, it says, When Baruch's son of Neriah wrote on the scroll the words of Jeremiah the prophet, dictated it in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Hosiah, king of Judah. Jeremiah said this to Baruch. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you, Baruch. You said, Woe to me, the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am worn out and groaning and find no rest. But the Lord has told me to say to you, This is what the Lord says. I will overthrow what I have built and uproot what I have planted throughout the earth. Should you then seek great things for yourself? Do not seek them, for I will bring disaster on all people, declares the Lord. But wherever you go, I will let you escape with your life. Baruch served humbly, and we can assume that he followed the word of God till the end, content to live a life following the one God, even after the death of Jeremiah. Baruch is a powerful testimony of humbly serving God and Christ because it is right. Even though he was possibly from an affluent and politically important family, he chose to follow God and use his ability and intelligence for his purpose, living a life of obscurity for the sake of God's message. This brings me to my final point, which is knowledge and craftsmanship. So how do we wrap this all up? Whether it's Moses and Bezalel or Jeremiah and Baruch, we can see the importance of living a spirit-filled life. We can also see that Moses needed the abilities and intelligence of Bezalel. He needed the knowledge that he, he and Ohelia had in order to complete the work that God had ordained. We could also see the immense help that Baruch provided Jeremiah. The knowledge that they brought to the table enabled the work of God to go forth. We need to esteem faithful work. That is why we do all things under the Lord. Colossians 3, 23-24. Whatever you do, work with all your heart as you work for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord, as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So as we go back and look at Norgay, we can see the Norgay, who had already been to Everest six times at this point, was leading was the leading member of the 1953 Everest expedition led by John Hunt. Norgay and Hillary were one of two pairs of climbers selected to make the summit pushes, the other two's be, uh, two being Tom Bordillion and Charles Evans. The later duo made it to just 300 feet shy of the summit, on May 26, but turned around after experiencing issues with their oxygen equipment. Their efforts to break the trail and cache oxygen, however, provided vital when Hillary and Norgay made their summit bid two days later. 
from a bivy starting at 27,900 feet on the southeast ridge. Hillary and Norgay reached the summit at the world's highest mountain at 11.30 a.m. local time. Following the successful ascent, Norgay and Hillary were catapulted into worldwide fame. Norgay was awarded the George Medal, a UK award for bravery, the Queen Elizabeth II Coronation Medal, the Order of the Star of Nepal, and the Indian Gold Medal, in addition to numerous other accolades and honors. In 1954, he became the Director of Field Training for the Himalayan Mountaineering Institute and later founded trek the trekking company Tenzig Norgay Adventures in 1978. Norgay was named one of the 100 most influential people of the 20th, 20th century by Time magazine in 1999. So as you can see with Norgay, his reward did not come until much later in life. Despite the long hours, the danger, the cold nights in the mountains, it wasn't until he had made it to the top of Everest that he that they received his reward. We serve a much higher power than anything here on earth, and as we labor, we labor for our God. Our Lord Jesus tells us to store up treasures in heaven in Matthew 6.20. The labor is here on earth, but our reward is in heaven and through our legacy here on earth. Bezalel and Oleab, Oholiab, were the builders of the tabernacle. Bezalel from the tribe of Judah is the first of the temple builders in the history of Israel. Even though some of his work is lost to time, his legacy lived on in King David, King Solomon, and King Jesus. Baruch faithfully served Jeremiah during one of the darkest periods of Israel's history. He lived and worked alongside one of the most pivotal prophets of the Old Testament, and despite his time on earth being rife with trouble, his name was recorded and his history of service is on display to all to you know to us through his work. So as I close, it's important to recognize that you don't have that you that you do have gifts that can be of use for the kingdom. You may have been saying to yourself that you don't have any skills, but I bet you're wrong. Maybe you haven't spent enough time looking for your gifts or honing your talents. The place to start is by being spirit-filled, to being filled with the spirit of the Lord. And you, you do that by giving your life to Jesus Christ. In John 3, 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is the starting point of wisdom in Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy, Holy One is insight. And we serve an everlasting Lord in 1 Peter 1, 23. Since you have been born again, not perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. As you seek out the Lord in your life, you will gain more wisdom or intelligence or your abilities will grow. As you apply that to your life, you will realize that your knowledge will grow and increase and God will bless the work of your hands. So I leave you with this thought. We know very few of the names that enabled the people of Israel and the early church to grow. We only get to see the headliners. Occasionally, we get to see a glimpse of those who helped the headliners, but we're never really able to see the second stringers or the third stringers. That doesn't diminish their importance, though. That elevates it. We need the builders, the bakers, the candlestick makers. We need those who faithfully labor for the Lord, those who use their talents for the kingdom. In 1 Kings 19, 18, it says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, and all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. We're given a clear indication that God shelters and hides some of his people from the limelight. But they're still faithful to him, and they're ready at a moment's notice to, to be called into action because they're faithful to him. 
And with that, I want to just go ahead and close. If if you if you're if you could have if I could have every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're listening along, I just want to give an invitation that if your heart's not right with the Lord, maybe you don't feel you're successful, or you don't feel like you're talented enough, or someone's made you feel less than you know important in your life. I want you to know that Jesus Christ knows that you're important. You're important to him. And that's why he has the gospel sent out. And that's why he commands us to preach the gospel, to bring this invitation to you. That if you know your heart's not right with the Lord, but you want to be right with him, you can do that by signifying that with an uplifted hand. Because he can see that hand. So raise your hand if that's you. And if, it, if you rose your hand, then repeat after me, dear Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, and that he died for my sins. I repent of my sins and I accept the Lord Jesus as my savior. And I give him all the praise and glory in Jesus name. Amen. That simple prayer is what we call a sinner's prayer. And it's, it, it's the first step. It takes you into salvation. You are saved at that point. And now you get to grow in Christ. And live in Christ to the rest of your life. So the next thing to do is, is obviously, you know, read your word, read a Bible, pray, to, which is just talking to God, pray to God, and then find a good, solid Bible-believing church to participate with and to lock in with and have fellowship with brethren. So if you have need help finding that church, you reach out because we have 3,500 plus churches globally. I'd be more than happy to help you find that church. If you're in Salmonar, please come out and visit. And I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to me today, even though my voice is horrible. And I can't wait for you to come back next time. God bless. Thank you for listening to the PHSA Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Potter's House underscore Salmon Arm to keep up to date on what we are doing, join the conversation, and discover how Jesus Christ can revolutionize your life.